Well, hey, and welcome to episode five of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Crismer, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, on today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we discuss why Quad City uses the NIV translation. If the creation story in Genesis is literal or figurative, if a follower of Jesus can lose their faith, and how to identify and destroy the idols in our lives. And always remember, if you have any questions as a result of Sunday's message or anything said on this podcast, go to quadcity.church Romans and you can submit your questions right there on the website. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoy this conversation. So, hey, let's talk about that telescope. That's that's pretty cool, Jason. What do you? Uh, what more do you have to say about that? Um, it is really cool. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I don't know. They just released another one, uh, another picture last week of Jupiter, and you read. So it's the most vivid picture we've ever had of Jupiter, and I'm I'm reading this article about this picture of Jupiter, and they used the the language in this article that there were galaxies photobombing Jupiter. Huh. Which I just thought is so cool just to think about that. They're taking a picture of a planet that we've known existed for hundreds of years and in the background they see galaxies that they never knew existed. Yeah. Just mind-boggling the stuff that that they're seeing and it's so cool. So I would just encourage anybody Put a follow on that on your social media feed somewhere. Uh, I just think it's just showing off the glory of God in ways we've never seen it before. It is really interesting and it's exciting to think about because I think about just like the evolution of media anyways, like regardless of kind of what medium you're into, if it's sports, if it's for me, it's uh, rock climbing, right? I'm really into rock climbing. So I look at the media from the golden age, the 50s and the 60s of you know, some of the the classic climbs being done all over the world and Yosemite all over the place. And I look at them and I look at the technology we have today to capture some of those same things. And then I think about, man, 30, 40, 50 years from now, what else are we going to have at our disposal? What other technologies are we going to have that will help us better represent these things that are happening as if it was happening right now uh, and translating those things? So I put that into perspective of this telescope and thinking about, hey, what's the next one going to tell us? For sure. Yeah, so that's that's cool. Josh, what, uh, what are you thinking about that? Yeah, so I just pulled it up. I hadn't seen the Jupiter ones. Like, it's cool. I, yeah. I am blown away. Like, this is amazing. Like, right now, this one is like, there's a storm uh, on Jupiter, a great red spot, and it's a storm big enough to swallow Earth. Like, <laughs> you always knew, like, Jupiter was the big one, right? It's a big planet, but, like, that the storm on the planet is big enough to like, oh, bye-bye, we're we're Like, that's just wild. Like, just these pictures, right? I'm not really, I'm not necessarily a science guy. It's not been, it's not the piece of me that was always intriguing in school. Like, I, more mathematics and that kind of stuff. But um, I, I look at it and go, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if we need to start, like, weather forecasting for the planet of Jupiter now. Yeah, are we going there next? Maybe. <laughs> like, is that the? Is the only, yeah, I, ah, man, that is I, wow. These are incredible. He's right, man. You got to go look at these pictures. They're they're incredible. Yeah. And again, to then think like, man, God did all this, right? You know, I think of that. And like, I took our boys to the Grand Canyon this this summer, and I thought they would not like it. Right? I didn't think it'd be cool enough for them, but they they were amazed by it as well. Yeah. And they were just so amazed by the fact that. When you say God did this, how yeah. do you do it? He just told it to be, right? Like just the amazingness of that, right? And mm-hmm. like he did that with Jupiter and he did that with all the, like that's the piece that blows me away when you frame it, like how you were trying to frame it up. Like, why is this important? It, you know, it's not just because it's some random planet, but it actually has a design. Yeah, I think about, <clears throat> excuse me. I think about Psalm 19, right? This is the, this is the, points us back to those pictures. The heavens declare the glory of God. 
The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech, and night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Like, we look at the skies, and we see God. That's what that's what the psalmist says over and over again. And um, yeah, that's what I'm hoping happens as people begin to look at some of these images. Yeah. I mean, you were talking about too before Psalm 8, right? Yeah. You know, Psalm 8, starting verse 3, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You've given them dominion over the works of your hand. You have put all things under their feet. Like, how crazy is that, right? Even even greater than, oh, he created all this. He then wants to create, he created us, right? right? As you, humans, and then what does that mean? Like, yeah. how does that play out? What an incredible, just an incredible thought of just how amazing God is. I always picture David laying on a field outside of Bethlehem, at night watching the sheep and he's looking up at the stars and that's what he writes. What is man that you are mindful of him? Like you created all of this. Why in the world would you spend a half a second thinking about a peon like me? And yet, how does he respond? Yet you've made man and you've put him over the works of your hands. You've crowned him with glory and honor. Man, I mean, it's like he's blown away the fact that God would even think about him with all of the majesty of the, his creation. And David has no idea that Jupiter even exists. <laughs> right. Much less right. thousands of billions of galaxies out there. Right, which I think, holding on to that, I think we can get back into it when we get into the idol talk, right? To think he's put us over all of these things, yet we've become enslaved to these things, mm. right? How crazy is that when yeah. you think about it that way? Of like, do we have this God who says you rule all of this, and so much of this is ruling us, mm. right? So definitely, I think we can tie that back in in the end. Yeah, it's just so much about perverting the natural order of things, right? The the creator versus the created, and where we place them as far yeah, as priorities for sure. go. So, hey, as we dive in, before we we dig in, we want to talk a little bit more about some questions that popped up as a result of of the message on Sunday. But there was one kind of passing thought, Jason, that you had um, around this word gar, right? This Greek word that sometimes doesn't get translated all that well. And it kind of spawns this, this bigger question um, into the translation that we use here at Quad City, which is the, the NIV. Um, tell, tell me why, because that's been the case since I've been here. It's been eight years that you've been teaching out of the NIV. Uh, why do you choose that? that translation compared to any of the other ones that some of our listeners may be using at home? Yeah, it's a great question. And yeah, this is a great conversation to have. So when we think about translations, there's really kind of three different types of Bible translations. So you have what's called the formal equivalent or a word-for-word translation. So we have a Greek word and we just change it to the English word. And we just put all of those Greek words together and we put all those English words together and we we translate it that way. So that's called a formal equivalent. Then you have what's and called... Could you give a couple examples of what yeah, that might so be? Yeah, so formal equivalent would be like the English Standard Version. It would be the KJV or the NKJV. So those NASB. So uh, yeah, so those, are, those would be in the formal equivalent category. Okay. Then you have what's called the functional equivalent category, or uh, thought for thought. So these translations, they take a sentence from the Greek, and they say, okay, in the Greek, the author of this text is trying to communicate this idea. If we were trying to communicate this idea in English, how would we, how would we communicate that idea? And so it's a thought for thought translation. And so that's called a functional equivalent or sometimes called a dynamic equivalent. So the idea is we just want to get the meat of the message. If if we're trying to get the ideas from the text, what does it say? And how would we say it in English? So those are thought for thought. And those would be like your uh, Christian Standard Bible. That would be your New Living Translation. Um, and the NIV uh, is into that category a little bit. Let me come back to that in just a second. 
on the other, keep going to the right. So if you think about these on on a pair on a on a what am I scale scales? Yeah, going left to right, you have your word for word, your thought for thought, and then on the far right, you would have a paraphrase. Um, so think of the Living Bible. Think of the Message. These are these are paraphrases. They're not literal translations. They're just rewriting uh, the scripture. So those are kind of the three big categories. And as you you can Google up today, if you just Google up Bible translation charts, there'll be a hundred images that pop up that kind of show this this picture. And in almost every one of them, no matter what the source is, you're going to find the NIV is kind of right there in the middle, in the middle between this idea of getting the word for word and the thought for thought. They try, it is the best one to try to marry those two together. The words themselves matter, I believe, and the thoughts matter. Um, so why do I teach from the NIV? Because they do a great job. Again, every one of them has their strengths. Every one of them has their weaknesses. Uh, when you think about the weaknesses of the word for word, they just get so clunky. Like when you're just trying to take an English word and 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 convert from a Greek word, it just gets clunky. Sometimes it's just hard to understand what they're trying to get to. So it's why so many people moved away from the KJV because it just got too clunky. Couldn't understand it. It feels archaic at times. So so people have moved away to try to get what is the flow? What are they trying to say? And so that's where the thought for thought comes in. NIV tries to marry those in a way that's helpful and readable. And so here's the other reason I think that I've continued to preach from the NIV is it's actually written at a sixth to eighth grade reading level. So anybody with a sixth to eighth grade uh, reading level can pick up an NIV and understand it. You're more word for word that that jumps up. It's written actually at 11th or 12th grade reading level. So it's a little more difficult for somebody, especially somebody who's new to the scriptures, to just be able to pick it up and to understand what they're reading. So as I uh, probably in around 2012 or 13, um, I, I tried to figure out there was a, a real chance that we were going to transition. I like the ESV, the English Standard Version. It is a little more of the word for word. It is a little more harder to read, a little more clunky, but it is a little more uh, literal in the in the translation process. And we almost made a switch. I was feeling a burden. I'm like, man, I want to, but it always comes back to, hey, if we're going to claim to make more disciples, we got to we gotta help people to be able to feel like they can pick up the Bible and read it for themselves. And the NIV is, is for somebody who's been studying the Bible for six months or 60 years, it's helpful for both. And, and I got to the place where I thought the ESV, man, if you're a newcomer just trying to start, it's going to make it really, really a little more difficult. So that's why I've, we've stayed with the NIV. It's a great translation. Again, they all have strengths. They all have weaknesses. Um, but I think for the most amount of people, it is the easiest to follow along and to get something great out of it. Again, the reality is wherever you are, all of these English translations are good. So the question is, which one will you read? Yeah. That's the best one. I don't care. Like uh, my wife has an NLT and that has now become the second uh, best-selling of, of Bible right now. So the NIV is number one. Um, it is the most popular. NLT has become number two. It actually replaced the KJV. So KJV for the longest time was number two on the list. It's actually fallen and the NLT has come up. And there are some who think the NLT may actually begin to become more popular than the NIV. And that may happen at some point. But those two are pretty close on the on the the continuum uh, between the word for word and the thought for thought. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, like you said, it's good to point out, you know, um, I always suggest to people, hey, do the side by side, right? Look at a, a number of verses, pick your favorite verses, right? Do the side by side um, between NIV, NIV and ESV, right? Those seem to be within our kind of bent of churches, some of the most common that, that a lot of pastors will use. 
Um, and the reality is, like you're gonna you're gonna be reading just about the same thing. The thoughts are gonna be very very similar. Some of the words might be slightly different. Um, but like you said, they are all very good translations. Like they're over over years and years and years of yes. translating scriptures. Um, they've got it pretty dialed. So yeah, yeah that's, no, that's helpful context though. Again, for anyone coming from a different church background that may be familiar, I know uh, uh, New King James, right? Yep. We have someone on our staff who grew up reading New King James and it's fun for her to try to figure out, you know, as we're using these same scriptures, her reading them in her Bible and kind of reconciling, what are the differences? How, how am I learning this same thing? So yeah, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, I, um, I actually just started reading the CSB in my like personal reading time. Part of that was because the Bible was on sale and I wanted a new reader's Bible. <laughs> um, but again, my brain works really weird too. If I read the same translation over and over, I I start skipping and I don't focus because I've heard it so many times. But so I changed you got it. through Romans in 35 minutes? It is, maybe. Um, <laughs> it's in my CSB. I have a reader's Bible too. So I love that it doesn't have verse numbers, it doesn't have page breaks. So yesterday when you're talking about the breaks, like my Bible, I study have it all the time, just my personal reader, it doesn't break. So it just keeps going. So it helps the thought, which would have been like a letter. But anyways, the NIV didn't have one. I was going to get a reader's Bible in the NIV and I couldn't find one or it was like a crazy price. And I was like, I can't. I almost feel bad how many Bibles I have. Right. So I'm yeah. like, I cannot spend more money on a Bible. Like, this is wild to me. So, yeah. So right now, personally, again, I'm just in the CSB. Like you said, though, just find the one that works. Yeah. Read that one. Um, if you love it, awesome. If not, find a different one. And so, so I know that's a fear for some people because they grew up in a maybe King James only. Right. Like, it's not the original language. Right. So you're okay. Like. Yeah. Find you one that that didn't come one. around till sixteen eleven. There were a <laughs> lot of Christians. <laughs> yeah, are going to be in the kingdom of God that existed before sixteen eleven. Yeah, well, and the reality is, language changes, right? We don't. We just don't talk like that anymore. Yeah, right. language evolves and it changes. So. Which this side note, the message was written as a, from a pastor to his people, right? right? So you know, Eugene Peterson translated that. The first one he did was Galatians because his people. We're struggling to understand. I'm sure they're probably reading out of Bibles that were difficult to understand. So he went, this isn't getting the job done. I want my people to know the word in American is what he, you know, kind of described it, right? So his he talked that way to his church for 15 or 20 years before it ever got published, which is such a cool story when you know the backstory to that to go, oh, this is a pastor who desperately wanted his people to know the word of God, that they could understand it so they could do something with it. And so when I pick it up now, it's like, oh, I'm reading a pastor's heart to his people who just desire for them to know the word really well. Yeah, he wasn't trying to translate the Bible. And he no. wasn't he wasn't trying to replace the King James. That's not what he was trying uh, to do. He was yeah. just trying to make his people go, okay, Paul wrote these really hard things in Galatians. How do I understand it, right? Yeah. Which helps us, right? It helps us to go, we can pick it up and go, yeah, I can read from this and still hear what God is trying to say to me. Yeah, yeah so. that's good. Well, let's dig in. We've got two uh, listener questions from this past Sunday, both of which I think are good and going to be really fun to talk about. Now, the first one comes from Mike and Mariella Hastings. Uh, thank you guys for sending this in. Here's what it says. It says, in light of your excellent sermon today, great job, Jason. Uh, what are the ramifications for dismissing the creation account of Genesis 1 through 3 and subscribing to either the micro or macro view of the theory of uh, evolution? Yeah, that's a that it is a great question. Um, here's here's my quick answer. I would say when we think about um, the evolution question, we're we're trying to answer the question of how, not who, and so that's what I want to get to is. There are people that I know of who love Jesus and believe that it was God who ordained creation through the process of evolution. Um, I'm not in that camp. I'd take a more literal six days bent on Genesis, but I'll be honest with you, the more I study Genesis, I walk away with more questions and answers. So there, I hold it loosely, right? It is, a, it is poetry, and I come away with more questions and answers sometimes. But I take a literal approach. I believe there was a literal Adam and Eve. I believe it was a literal six days. But again, now we're talking about the how, not the who. So the biggest question that, that we're trying to get to in Romans is not about the how, it's about the who. Is there a creator? That's the question. So I, I would say if you, if you have a macro or micro view of evolution, 
I'm I'm not going to argue with that. What I'm going to what I'm going to try to press into is do you believe that there is a creator? So do you believe that there is an intelligent design behind the whole thing? How he chose to bring about that design, we can argue about that. I'm the the bigger issue though, is there a creator? Is there someone who put this all together that you recognize he is bigger? He is the authority. He is the one that I'm going to be accountable to, that I'm going to have to answer to, that I'm going to give a report to my life to. That's the bigger issue. What happens for most create, I'm sorry, most evolutionists is they they dismiss that there is a creator and they point to the fact that it all just happened by accident, that it all just two molecules banged together and now we've got thousands of galaxies and human beings and eyeballs. That's the part that is not, that that's the issue is we can't dismiss the creator. So how the creator chose to create, I think we can debate that piece. We can't debate. There is a creator. So even if you believe in micro or macro evolution, the, the biggest issue that I would press into somebody is to say, do you believe that there's a creator that you're accountable to? Yeah, that's good. So what I'm hearing you say is that there are ramifications if you pull the creator outside of the creation. Try that's exactly to anyways. Right. I don't know that you can actually do that, but when you try to. Um, that's that's good. Josh, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, just I when I was listening Sunday to that, right, that there was that whole point of why is he trying to make us understand that there is a creator? Oh, because that person will judge you and you have no excuse. Like, that's the point of it, right? Like, again, like you were, like you said, Bible's not trying to argue if God exists. They, they, that's the assumption. And because of that, then these things matter, right? And so when we come with the wrong framework, it then messes up all the other things, right? And so, which I could see really easily how people, if you don't believe there's a creator, well, then you just don't really care. I'll just do whatever I want. Right. But the moment you acknowledge that piece, you have to then go, well, then there are rules in which I should be governing my life by because he set them in motion, mm-hmm. right? And so it, it makes sense for people who are hung up why they would first always try to say, yeah, I don't really believe there's a God who created all this because then I can just do whatever I want, right? right. Uh, you know, if that maybe that's not their intention or maybe it is, I don't know, but it definitely makes it a lot easier. It gives, sure. me, it puts, it gives me the out, right? It puts us at the highest authority, right? Right, Because we're the smartest people on, or smartest beings on the planet. Right. So then I get to call the shots uh, unless I admit there is someone over me. There's someone smarter. There's an authority over me. And then all of a sudden, now I'm not the, the pinnacle. I have to submit to the one who is. And that, again, changes the way we live our life. Right, definitely. Yeah, 100%. Here's the second question. I find this one really interesting. So there's a little bit of backstory, and then I'll ask the, the question that she asked. Uh, here's, here's what this listener or viewer from uh, PV said. Uh, I've been a Christian since kindergarten. I love the Lord, and I know with him I have peace, wisdom, and strength. Uh, joy, peace, wisdom, and strength. I hear maybe some of the fruit of the Spirit even in that. Uh, even though I have known this, I have been running away from him for a long time. In service today, you talked about how if we stay in the dark, we eventually won't be able to see God. She's paraphrasing. Let's. So here's the question. Is it possible that I won't hear or be able to identify, identify the voice of God again because I turned from him for so long? So there's a little bit of concern. Hey, I've been walking away from God. Does that mean I'm not going to be able to hear his voice again in the future? That is a great question, and I'm so glad um, that this uh, this person asked it. And let me let me answer the question and then speak directly um, to this person. So the quick answer is yes. There is a point to which someone who has blocked out um the the work of the spirit in their life there is a point that they can cross to whereby they would no longer hear the voice of god i think that is a reality and it is the terrifying warning that hebrews chapter 6 gives us and so let me put some context to it give you a scripture to look at so this warning comes from hebrews 6 starting in verse 4 
It says it is impossible. By the way, that word impossible means not possible. Like there, in fact, that same word is used in the next uh, chapter in Hebrews to describe the ability for God to lie, that it is impossible. So the fact that Jesus says, I am the truth, he can't lie. Okay. So when it says impossible, we can't dumb down that word, meaning, well, it's not probable. No, no, no. It's impossible. For those who have been who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting rejecting him to public disgrace. So that is a dire warning. And in my estimation, he uses about six phrases to help us understand these were people who were enlightened. They had connection with the Holy Spirit. They've, they've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming. They've experienced what it means to be in Christ like over and over and over again. And yet there is a, a moment where they're where they can blind their eyes to such a degree that they would not be able to be brought back to a place of repentance. So that's a scary, scary warning. So I would say, yes, that is possible. Now, let me speak directly to the person who's asking this question. I don't think you're there. Like the person in Hebrews 6 is the person who no longer cares that God exists. They no longer care. It's not even that they that they can't hear God, it's that they don't want to hear God. There's nothing in them that desires to hear God. So they've walked away and they're good with it. So the fact that this person is concerned about whether or not they can hear or are hearing the voice of God is a testimony that they're hearing the, the voice of God. Like it is the voice of God that is drawing us to himself. So she she is hearing God's voice. This is a person who is recognizing, man, I was close to the Lord. I'm not as close right now, but she still has the heart to be close to the Lord. That by its very definition is the picture of the repentance that Hebrews 6 says this this person can't get to. Like it's impossible for that person to be brought back to repentance. Our, Our listener here is not there because she desires to be back in the presence of the Lord, that she has a heart of repentance. She recognizes she's not there, wants to be there, So she still is having the work of the Spirit drawing her back, and I would just encourage her to keep moving toward the Lord again. Yeah, that's really good, man. So (laughs) I have a couple thoughts. So here's here's my first thought, and then the second one's going to be a question, which I think some of our listeners are maybe wondering. Um, So I thought of Jesus in the fig tree. Remember when he curses the fig tree or he comes on the one fig tree and it's kind of dead and he says, I'm not going to destroy it, but let's dig around it. Let's put some soil. I'm going to give it time. But like, if I come back next year and it's, I'm just going to be done with it, right? Like I, I think of people and faith like that, right? Like eventually it's like, man, he keeps giving you opportunities and he keeps trying to till the ground around you and put good soil on it and do the things that are needed for you to actually produce fruit. And then he comes back and there's still nothing there. Well, eventually it's like, well, I, I can't keep worrying about this tree. I have to be done with it. He curses the fig tree and dies, right? So that's my first thought when I always think of that. So then the question becomes out of that. So this would kind of debunk then once saved, always saved, right? Essentially, if you're saying you can walk away, Right, isn't that what that's getting at? Right, isn't that what Jesus was saying as well? Like, eventually, if you're not producing fruit, you can't say that you're a believer, right? Like, I, th- I think maybe that's what she's kind of wondering. Maybe she's heard that growing up, or maybe some listening have heard that growing up, and are going, "Hey, well, I thought I'm good. If I just say I'm believe, I'm good." But clearly, if we believe these lies, eventually the spirit does not convict us anymore. So, what do we do with that? You are just trying to make our lives difficult today, aren't you? Well, I mean, like, isn't that what this is all about? It, it's not a question we haven't had to answer before, right? right? It, for so. sure. But for that's sure. the heart of it that yeah. text in Hebrews is like, yeah. clearly that's pushing up against this belief that, again, that o- obedience then doesn't matter. 
Like that's what all of this Romans is about. So it's and it's coming. So that's just that's a, <laughs> that's what I thought of though. That's again her question is like, wow, oh man. So let's be fair. So so somebody who is teaching or believes the idea of once saved, always saved, would say, look, if you walked away, it proves you were never saved. Now, again, I don't think that's true. Uh, I think this text specifically here in Hebrews 6 points to someone who has experienced, it says shared in the Holy Spirit. Like they've, they have shared in the Holy Spirit. They have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, which some, again, who would say, yeah, yeah, but they just tasted it. It's like they didn't inhale it. It wasn't all the way in them. They just, it just it's like on their tongue, but they didn't swallow. They tasted it, but they didn't experience. And I'm like, oh, here's the problem with that. Uh, Hebrews also says that Jesus tasted death for everyone. It's the mm-hmm. same word. So did Jesus just kind of stick his tongue on death and then spit it out? Or did he experience death for, well, of course he experienced, because if he didn't, then we're all not saved. So this text is about six ways of saying the person was in. Again, what I, there's a whole sermon that I did once on this, this text. And so maybe we can find the video on the Vimeo page and link it in the show notes. Um, and you'll notice I had dark hair. So it's been, (laughs) it's been a minute. Um, but the idea is, look, this idea that you lose your salvation, I hate that language. It's so stupid. It's dumb, dumb language. That is not biblical language that a person loses their salvation. Because then it's like my salvation is akin to a set of car keys or my Walmart sunglasses. Where did they go? I, was, I had my sunglasses yesterday and now they're gone. I've lost them. No, it's not how salvation works. Nobody accidentally gets into the kingdom and nobody accidentally gets out. Nobody, nobody um, gets into the kingdom uh, unintentionally, and I don't think anybody walks out unintentionally. I think it's a decision on both ends, but I do believe there is plenty of biblical evidence here. You can shipwreck your faith. There are people who do that. Like they were in and they shipwrecked their faith by the way that they begin to live their life. And it's not as if they just stop believing something It's they moved in a direction away. They turned their back. They rejected is what the scriptures say over and over again. It's about rejecting your salvation, um, not about losing it. So again, there's there's a whole conversation. We could do a whole podcast episode just on that. Uh, Maybe if we can find that that sermon uh, way back in the archives, we can stick it in the show notes. It might be helpful. Yeah, I'll link that down in the show notes for anyone listening who's who's curious about that. Yeah. No, again, thank you. Because again, I think that's a, that's the driver here that Paul's trying to get at, right? As, as we're going to walk through Romans, it's, hey, <laughs> the next two chapters are like, you. what does it matter that you think you're, you're in because you're in, right? There's an actual thing that you must do. And it's this belief and then obedience comes out of that, right? Like you're going to be judged by those things. So yeah, it's, it is the, super important. Yeah. the But again, and we'll talk about this, you're jumping ahead in, in Romans for us a little bit, but the idea is that obedience is the fruit of our faith. It is not the, um, what brings us faith. And so we talked about that in the very first right. week, right? That he's right. trying to get to the Gentiles the obedience produced by faith that that's what it yes. it's proof of our of our justification it doesn't provide our justification right of course yeah yeah so for sure and so like we talked about like that would be the if you're wondering like hey am i am i in or am i doing what i'm supposed to be doing like you would go do you have fruit right that's the tree that's why i think yeah. of jesus like looking at the tree and going it's not producing fruit it's not doing what it's supposed to do and so, like Brendan was saying, even in her questions, I have joy and peace. Like, so clearly sees fruits of the Spirit in yeah. her life, right? So, again, it's saying, hey, we all have these moments. And so, I think that's where the confession and repentance, and especially a conversation that was driven all about idols, right? I think people were just, I think they were convicted by the Holy Spirit. And they're like, oh, my goodness, I'm out. And it's like, no, 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 you're, I don't think you're out. I think this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. Right. If you were, if you were at a place where you weren't hearing, there would be no conviction. That's the, mm, that's yeah. what the work of the Holy Spirit is. It convicts 
us and brings us back to a place of repentance. So if you're feeling that conviction, that comes from the Lord. Your flesh is not going to convict you. And so the enemy is not going to convict you. You, It is the work of the Holy Spirit. If you're feeling that conviction, man, that's the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart saying, hey, we got some work to do. And man, surrendering to that and being grateful for that, that he loves you enough to to draw you back into himself. Man, that's a that is a sign of the the work of the of the spirit in your life. Yeah, 100%. And on that note of uh of idols, I want to dive deep into uh just the the application from Sunday that that we have. I want to spend the rest of our time specifically on application, which was kind of two things. It was, hey, how do we acknowledge or identify our idols, the idols in each of our lives. And we've got a tool to, to help us do that. But then secondly, how do we place God in his rightful position in our lives as king and ruler over everything that we are? Um, so Josh, I know you've got a couple of questions, I think five questions that will help us identify our idols. And then we also have an expansive list of things that often can find a position uh, an over-prioritized position in our lives. Yeah, definitely. So um, if you have been a part of Quad City even just for a little while, or, um, you know, Jason has mentioned it from the stage a few times, I think there's 175 people um, that have done, it's uh, our disciple, one of the discipleship tools we use is called uh, CTO or Call to Obedience. Um, most of our staff has has done it, um, like I said, 175 of us. So there's some common language. And one of the chapters in one of the books is all about idolatry. And um, I just went through this myself like uh, three or four weeks ago. So it's interesting that you were preaching about this because this is where my mind kept going. But one of the things that they say is idolatry is always built on the lives of Satan and self. So like, um, and then they just say, here are five lies that you begin to believe, and then you succumb to the idols that kind of fall underneath of that. And the first one is the lie is that God is not trustworthy. God is not sufficient. God is not good. Um, the lie that you will be like God, therefore you depend on yourself and become your own God. And then the lie that you will not die, and therefore you believe there are no consequences. And so those five kind of categories then present themselves with, like you said, the the idol checklist, right? And so as I was listening to to Jason's, it was like the place in my life where these idols keep popping up. It's what what lie am I not believing? Is it God is not good, and therefore I will do what I want to do because I, you know. God is not gracious. He's not done what I've, you know, asked because I've done these things and therefore I'll go, you know, worship my own self and do those kind of things. So just great way to kind of frame those questions to begin to to pull apart. And it's because it's a whole chapter of stuff just to help identify that stuff in your life. And the reality is when you really start identifying this checklist becomes really, really long and it go, what do I do? Like, cause you may be overwhelmed, right? You may feel really bad about yourself, especially if you've been following Jesus for even again, I did this myself and was like, geez, I've got more than I realize. What in the world? Yeah. Well, and I loved the illustration you used around uh, spiritual whack-a-mole yeah. when it comes to idols, right? You knock one down and the next one pops up and it's like, man, how do I get rid of that one now? Yeah. Uh, cause yeah, they, they can change. Right? It's, it seems as if it's the human natural bent to mm. want to place things uh, as the ruler of our life. And again, we just need to make sure that that thing is is God first, right? And then there's all these blessings, right? We, we have all of, we experience all of these blessings as a result of the grace of God in our lives. Uh, our weekend camping trips, right? That is a blessing we get to experience. But as soon as we we take that thing and we consider that the ruler of our life and we're spending all of our time and giving all of our attention and all of our, our dreams and worries to those things that were once blessings to us, uh, it, it's no longer in its right place in our life as a blessing. It is turning into the idol itself. Yeah, well, I mean, again, it's, the, it's back to the Psalm of, God actually gave us all of these things for us to rule, right? Like we were in, set in charge of all of these things. Like we are better and bigger than all. Like, we, you know what I mean? Like our place in this kingdom of God is not second fiddle to all these foolish things. We only are below the creator. That's the only thing that's worthy of our worship, right? And so when we keep that perspective, when it comes from that place, then it's easy to see those things in their proper perspective, right? And when we lose that is when we 
you know, we get ourselves into trouble, right? And we we go off the the deep end, so to speak. But again, th- those lies are framed in the concept of like Satan coming to Eve in the very beginning. And it was all based off of lies, right? Like the enemy is the father of lies. Like that's what he wants. He wants to just tweak it just enough to be like, ah, Jason, you sure? You should worry about that. If you don't worry about it, who's going to worry about it, right? You should worry about your kids. Should be worrying about, oh, are they safe? All You know what I mean? And and in your mind, you start believing like, yeah, that's true. Until you start going, well, well even if these things happen, is God still good? That, like, that's the question we got to ask ourselves. Like, even if we run it out to the nth degree, do we really still believe that God is still in charge? And that's where we have to sit with and be, okay, it doesn't mean that suffering and stuff is easy to deal with, but it helps us frame properly like, oh, God's got this. He created the world, right? You know, so. Yeah, who's sovereign over my kids? Is it mm. me or is it God? Is it me or do I trust that God is the one who actually understands their first day and their last day, mm. right? That Am I willing to, again, this is the struggle, right? It's like, if I say, well, if something happened to my kid, I'd just be, it would just be over. Life would not be worth living anymore. You know, and there are people who believe that and their whole purpose and value is, well, once the kids go to college, then who am I? Mm. You know, and their whole identity is wrapped up in their kids. And that's, none of that's healthy. None of, that means we've placed our kids in the place that God was supposed to be. It's, we find our joy and our ultimate value and purpose, not in my relationship with my kid, but within my relationship with my creator. And so, again, it is so easy for these things to pile up and to take root in our life and not even recognize it. Yeah, and again, I, so many of our folks listening, a part of Quad City, a lot of them are in that retirement stage. Oh, yeah. Right, so I'm sure, like, you know, they've struggled maybe coming out of that retirement of, like, for 35 years, I was this. Mm-hmm. What am I now? Yeah. Right, and going, what's my purpose? What do I do, right? And I, they realize probably now that work was the idol. Right. Right. And going, oh man, I did not do this correctly. And again, people were probably telling you and people were poking at you and you're like, no, no, not me. Well, you have to work. Yeah. Well, Jason, I have to have a job. I have to yeah. pay my bills. I have to do that kind of stuff. So what do I do? You know, that kind of kind of thing. And then now it's like the ease of comfort is mm-hmm. like what you said, right? Like our whole city is based off of comfort. For sure. Right. And it's going, boom. And it's easy to fall into that. Sure. I think that's what we all acknowledge. Like all three of us sitting here would go, yeah, man, this isn't something that we're going, oh, yeah, all you need to fix that. It's going, these are real questions. Like, those four things at the end were like, what is my time and my money and my the dreams one? And we had talked about that a couple. It, that's the one that stuck with me for the longest. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too, because I know for you, Jason, the worries one is going to be the one probably that is the most impactful for me, it was the dreams. The oh, what am I dreaming about? What do I what do I want for my future? What do I want to try to pursue and that sort of thing? So I'm with Josh. That one hit hard. Convicting. And now it's like, yeah, it was convicting for sure. Yeah, uh, really, just in that thought of in my dreams, am I just trying to ask God to come alongside with me? Mm-hmm. That's the and is it really this is what God has put on my heart, right? Like again, I worry it's not necessarily a, a default nature of mine. I'm with you at this and where I tend to but it's a good question though because you're right if you tell me what you worry about i bet i could tell you what your idol is mm-hmm. so yeah so what do we do next jason so if people have identified i know you said talk within a group but but what else can can folks do as they've identified them how do they begin to walk forward like what's the process how do you how have you done that in your own life how have you helped to get rid of idols you know what does that look like for you well um, to Brendan calling me out here. Yeah, the anxiety piece is real for me. So I've shared that with the church. It's not, it's not news. Um, yeah, I've struggled with anxiety. And so a lot of times it's a health-related anxiety. And so when I used that example Sunday, I was preaching to Jason. I wasn't preaching to anybody out there. I'm preaching to Jason. So what eventually what we have to get to, and it's the same as you're talking about to your kids, or talking about with your kids, you're you got to get to the place where you say, "Well, even if, even if, even if I got sick and got cancer tomorrow, even if my kid was in a car wreck, even if, is God still good? Would I keep following? Is God still sovereign? Even if, and I got to get to the place where I say, "Yes, 
God is sovereign even over this. So if I get cancer, God's still good. If I die at 39, God's still good. If my kid uh, dies at 12, God is still good. And I'm still going to follow because he is sovereign. He is the creator. I'm the creation. I submit myself to him. And again, these things are going to change as we get older and different things are going to, if my, if comfort is my idol and I lose my house, is God still good? If, if my job is my idol and I end up losing my job, is God still good? Even if this thing that is so valuable to me gets taken away, will I still keep pursuing God? Do I still see him as good and loving and gracious and kind, even if the thing that I've put at the top of my list gets taken from me? If my health is my idol and I end up with ALS and I'm in a wheelchair for 18 months of the last suffering of my life, is God still good even in that? Yes. And so it, it's just keep putting God above and trusting in him and and submitting, holding with open hands, all of these things that we're that we're taught to hold so dear. Yeah, and the holding with open hands. I have this uh, this illustration that's stuck with me for a bunch of years around kind of that open hand release of our own desires, our idols, maybe. And it, I remember it was uh, Don Wilson, founding pastor of uh, Christ Church of the Valley down in Phoenix, did a, a teaching around um, some something related to this and. He had a tennis ball, I think is what he was using in his hand. And it was this idea of holding with open hands, right? But if your hands are faced up, like faced towards the sky, and you're holding it with open hands, where's the tennis ball? Still in your hand. So flip your hands upside down, release with open hands, and it obviously falls to the ground, right? And this idea of like actually just letting go and fully submitting to the will of God in your life. For whatever reason, that illustration, whenever I think of, whether it's idols or sin in my own life or comfort, whatever it is, when I know and am convicted, oh, I've got to let go of this thing. I've got to release this thing. It's it's too high. It's sitting on a throne too high in my life. How do I release it? Okay, I'm just going to release it and I'm going to trust in God and I'm going to move in his direction. And what does that look like day by day? It changes probably, but um, that's a imagery in my mind that stuck with me for, for probably a decade. That's really good. Yeah, I like that. And again, I think to to your point of the sermon of like, you should talk with this in a group because the reality is, is there are people in, in groups in our church who may be walking through some of these things. Like just talking about health, obviously there are people who are, have a health diagnosis and then somebody else gets diagnosed with the same thing and they go, Hey, I've, I've actually, I've been there. I know what that looks like. Right. Again, we talk about foster care stuff, right? Really, really hard. Like there are people who've gone before you and have done it and they can they can help you in those moments of struggle. There, there are people who have lost everything, jobs, houses, who've went through that and have come out on the other side whole and actually look back and go, yeah, I don't know if I'd want to go through it again, but I, I would never want to change it because look what God has done in me, right? My own life, stories of like what God has taken me through. I don't know if I want people to experience that, but but again, I look and go, my faith is so much stronger because I've seen God work even in the midst of the ridiculous things, right? And some of that is God ripping everything away to go, am I really just enough? Yeah. Like, I think everybody needs that season to, to have. So I think the community piece is really important to go, oh, there are people I need to talk this out with because maybe they can offer like, oh, I've been there. Yeah, you can get through it. And the other piece of the community is sometimes people can show us our idols when we're blinded to them. Mm. You want to know what your idol is? Ask your kids. <laughs> you want to know what your idol is? Your, your wife will be able to help you to discern. Oh, you forgot that one. You forgot that one. You you Because we don't see it sometimes. So we are sometimes blinded because, again, we, we base it on our intentions. You know, we know it's not, we don't intend for it to be there, and so we ju we judge ourselves by our intentions and not by our actual actions. And so sometimes those people who are close to us can help us see things that we don't even see in ourselves. So that's where the other side of the community is. No, 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 that actually is an idol. You you talk more about that thing than you talk about anything else. And you you share more emotion, whether good emotion or bad emotion. When that topic comes up, your emotional level shoots up or dives down. 
which tells you that that has influence in your life to a greater degree than almost anything else. You don't you don't get that excited when you're talking about your kids. You don't get that excited when you're talking about your wife. You don't get that excited when you're talking about Jesus. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about NASCAR, all of a sudden you're like, <laughs> you're on a whole nother level. So whatever the thing is. So sometimes our community helps us to see idols that we didn't even know we had. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, if you're in a group and you're listening to this before your group happens this week, right? Uh, be ready to come prepared, right? Come with idols in hand and let's talk about it, right? That's that's what these groups are designed for specifically. So, all right, guys. Well, anything else we want to add as a result of Sunday's message? I think it was really good, man. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, uh, I'm excited for the next couple that tie in with this. So I would definitely say, hey, so we kind of left on a hanger. <laughs> like, you know, it was like not a, oh, felt really great. Mm, that feels good. But it was intentional, right, Jason? It wasn't like uh, we just intentionally are trying to make you feel bad. <laughs> no, we're just following the text. So yeah. again, we're we hit we turned the corner into the bad news this week, and it's going to stay bad for a few more weeks. But again, I think the weight of the bad news beginning to see actually let God do an autopsy of the condition of our heart will help us be able to experience the grace of God to a degree that we've never done before. Mm. Yeah, 100%. All right, thanks, guys. We'll uh, see you next time. Well, that's a wrap on episode five of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. We hope it was beneficial to you in better understanding our message from Sunday as a result of answering some of these questions. We understand that we covered some pretty deep and expansive questions about the faith, and by no means did we have all of the time in the world to do those questions ultimate justice. So if there's any lingering questions or thoughts, feel free to reach out via quadcity.church Romans, where you can submit additional questions that you'd like us to tackle in the future. As always, we couldn't be more grateful for you sharing in this time with us. We hope it improves and betters your obedience and faith in Jesus. Can't wait to see you next time.